Taylor Schulte says one of his grandfather's biggest regrets was not flying first class when he knew he could afford it. That sentiment helped shape Taylor's outlook on the world of financial advice. So many of us, particularly our audience here at the Retire Sooner podcast, do a great job of saving money, but then they are reluctant to ever spend it. So if we've worked so hard, shouldn't we be able to spend money and enjoy life? In 2014, Taylor left a big, gigantic Wall Street firm, and he launched Define Financial. They're a fee-only financial planning firm headquartered in the magnificence of San Diego, California. He's created a business model that gives him the freedom and flexibility to help all sorts of people. And he's been recognized as a top 40 advisor under 40. Gosh, I remember those days. By Investment News and named the number two independent advisor in the U.S. by Investopedia. Taylor advises people to sit down with a nice bottle of wine, and which I love and maybe you'll love too, and figure out what happiness looks like. We didn't drink any wine during the interview. Maybe we should have, but the conversation was a perfect vintage. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. So Taylor, thank you for joining us. You're a fee-only financial advisor. You're on the West Coast, you're in San Diego. I know that you're living here. We are on a, a cold day in the southeast. It's, I don't know, 40 degrees today, but it's 80 and sunny in San Isn't it always sunny in San Diego? You know, for the most part, um, you know, it's hard to beat the weather out here. But, you know, once in a while it catches us off guard and it rains and it ruins my golf game. But uh, I really can't <laughs> complain too much. It's awesome. So again, we have a really, we have a similar background. I started the big wire houses when I was younger in the business my my first internship ended up in and it was at a big Wall Street brokerage firm that eventually I ended up working at full time and then at some point I as I learned the industry I said I got to I got to get out of here and I got to go I want to go to the fee only registered investment advisory or RIA world yep. and it sounds like did you did you go big brokerage firm and then go RIA first or did you tell me about your journey there yeah, I mean, you know, day one, out of school, 22 years old, uh, somehow I landed a job at one of these you know, large Wall Street uh, wirehouse firms. They gave me a, a desk, a cubicle, a phone, a salary, uh, and a sales quota. And you know, I was I was pretty excited at, at 22, and and I, I was just like a sponge. I just soaked up you know every bit of information I could. I, I talked to every advisor in that office, and e even outside of the firm, and really just learned as much as possible. And I, I loved it. And I, I really just fell in love with the business. You know, I didn't really know much about being a financial advisor. I had this this passion for finance. I knew I wanted to do something in finance, but uh, this job just you know showed me how much I, I, I loved being a financial advisor. So yeah, yeah I, I battled there uh, through 08, 09, ultimately earned the trust of, I don't know, about 30 or so really amazing families. And it was a great experience. But uh, I started to challenge eventually you know, some of the things that I was told and I was taught and it, it kind of hit me one day sitting in, in, a, in a meeting 
uh, you know, the focus was so much on, on making the firm more money by, by selling new products, you know, mortgages and banking solutions and things that I really had no business or formal training to, to recommend to people. And it, it just hit me that like these, these large publicly traded firms have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders, not necessarily their clients. And, and like, I'm not suggesting that every financial advisor at a, a large brokerage firm uh, is dishonest or, or not putting their clients first, but uh, I don't think that's the case, but it's true. Like these, these large publicly traded firms have to focus on making more money for themselves to keep shareholders happy. So long story short, it just didn't sit that well with me. And uh, also both of my grandfathers were business owners. So I had this kind of burning desire to do my own thing. And uh, eventually in 2014, I, I started my, my firm, Define Financial, out here in sunny San Diego. And where do you got, well, one thing that just struck a chord when, when you said that, um, I, I've said something similar over the years in uh, you know, our industry in general, and I think about Wirehouse, which is, again, what your traditional Wall Street type firms, which, again, mostly uh, wonderful advisors at, at, the, at those pla uh, at those places. I have many great friends at the big firms, UBS and Morgan Stanley, uh, Merrill Lynch still to this day, uh, who still almost all say at some point they want to be independent and, and be a, a fee-only RIA. And, and it, it's not it's not easy to make the, the leap to do that. But there's also this drumbeat on in the in the financial media that is that you, you never you never it's never enough. So even, all the way from I, I call her Susie Ormond, all the way down to just in general big the wirehouse messaging or annuity companies that are always saying or life insurance companies broker terms a million dollars isn't enough. It's not what it used to be. Two million is not enough. Five million is not enough. Ten million is not enough. So you're ne you're almost never. It's never enough. And part of that is a CYA. Well, you can never run out of money if you keep saving and you never right. retire. Part of it too is that to your point, these are publicly traded companies for the most part, and publicly traded companies are in the business to always ex ever expand. Right. So they're, they're not in the, they're, they're not going to have a message. Like, I think if you just get here, you're good. So they have this constantly evolving message of they've got to grow every quarter. So it kind of feeds into their conversations, I think, with, with, with their base and their client base. So that kind of strikes the core when you say, you know, you, the way you operate can, is not product oriented. You're not selling anything for a commission. You're really selling your advice. Is that, is that correct? Right. And on top of that, you know, as a fee only fiduciary firm, we are legally obligated to put the client first. You know, our job is to go out there and, and shop the market and find the best solutions at the best price and, you know, make our clients more money, not necessarily make, you know, us more money. Our, our, our fees are transparent. It's very clear what we're paid. And you're right. We're, we're paid for our advice, not transactions or, or products. So, okay, so that would then, uh, Taylor, that you you can just kind of describe this, the difference then between a fee-only fiduciary RIA versus a wirehouse, or I don't know why we even call them wirehouses, but think Wall Street firm, like, a again, traditionally a Merrill Lynch or a Morgan Stanley. But how, how do you describe the difference? Yeah, you know, I hate the word fee only. I mean, we just do such a disservice to consumers with these confusing words. Like fee only is like, yeah, I only pay fees. Like it's always bothered me. Uh, and it's really confusing um, because there's also this term fee based and fee based means that sometimes you charge transparent fees and sometimes you sell products for a commission. 
Uh, so fee only really means, uh, like you said, you, we have a transparent fee that we're charging in return for our advice. So we're not selling a life insurance product and, and getting a commission for that. A client might pay us a, a flat fee of, let's say, $10,000 per year. And our job is to just help them. It might be securing life insurance, but we don't necessarily get paid for selling that life insurance. We're already getting paid by the client. Uh, so Wait, so do you careful. like the terminology fee only, you said, or you don't like that term? No, no, I don't. I, I don't like the, the word fee only because I find it really confusing, especially when there's other words out there like fee-based. Um, so the word that I use, yeah, and I don't do know if use? this is... I, I use the word commission-free. We don't sell anything in return for a commission. So we are a commission-free firm. Uh, we that's, charge a transparent fee. By the way, that's fee. genius. I've never, I've never heard anybody say that. That's really good. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. So, you know, we don't sell anything in return for a commission. You know exactly what you're paying us. Uh, you know, the only fee we receive comes directly from our clients. So you just be really, really careful out there because there are advisors out there that wear both hats. They'll take that fiduciary hat off and sell you a product and then they'll put it back on and charge you a transparent fee. So you just have to really, really ask good questions and really understand the compensation models. And again, we, we've done kind of a disservice to consumers. It's, it's really hard to navigate. So let's talk about common misconceptions, and, and maybe I think you've kind of started to dig some of that up with the, this terminology between fee-based and fee-only, and they kind of sound the same, so people can interchange them, but they are very different. So what do you see as, uh, even, even on a larger macro level, if, if someone is listening to your podcast, which actually, I want to talk about that next. I, can't, I actually really want to talk about your podcast, but... Uh, for for those who are listening to your podcast or here on the Retire Sooner podcast, some people inherently just feel better about having some coaching and have somebody have, having somebody help. Some people are very comfortable doing this on their own. What do you think that the misconceptions are for people that are maybe kind of in that middle zone of thinking, oh, I, I don't know if I really want to use an advisor or should use an advisor? Yeah, you know, I'm fully supportive of people doing it themselves. You know, your traditional DIY investor. Uh, in fact, you mentioned my podcast uh, called Stay Wealthy. It's a retirement podcast. You know, most of our audience is you know, made up of do-it-yourself investors. The analogy I use is, you know, I, I can mow my own lawn, right? I can go buy a lawnmower and mow my own lawn. Uh, I choose not to. I choose to hire somebody because I would rather do something else with that time. I'd rather watch a movie with my kids or take them to the park. I just value my time differently. Some people really enjoy mowing their lawn, and that's totally fine. Um, some people get to Come a certain to state. It, I actually did used to really enjoy mowing my own. <laughs> I really, I, there is, there's very few things with the sad. And that, I think what replaced it in, in my world, as sad as it sounds, is vacuuming. I actually like to vacuum now. Good because for Because there's something about, and I grew up on a smaller farm. It's not like some big farm, but we had like eight acres and we had a three and a half acre field. And I used to, when I got to, I think I was, when I was 12, my dad let me actually drive the tractor we had. And um, we had a old bush hog on the back, but the 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 satisfaction. And you get two kids, right? Sawyer and Sutton. How old are these? How are these boys? You, you know, I actually have a third now. So wherever you read that needs to be updated. Old yeah, bio, old bio, old bio. I've got three kids under age five, so we're we're in the thick of it. Yeah, I've got a, a four and a half year old, a three year old, and a newborn. So yeah, it's it's pure chaos at my house. Is the newborn a girl or a boy? She's a girl. So you have two boys and a girl. That's a, two boys that's and a, girl. a yeah. wonderful mix. Yeah, yeah. We have I have I have, I have four boys uh, under fourteen. So I, wow. it's not too dissimilar from where you are. But they use this term that I didn't ever use as a kid, and I think it's kind of more of an internet term. But they use the word sat. That's that's so satisfying. 
Almost like when they when they see one of these um, foam volcanoes explode, They're like that. What a satisfying thing! So I, I I hearken back to being a kid or twelve, and I'm thinking mowing my lawn was satisfying. Yeah, uh, you'd see the lines of the grass, and it just felt like you'd done a bunch. But today, Taylor, to your point, it's kind of. I would rather, exactly like you, I'd rather be out with my, my kids as opposed to mowing the grass for two and a half hours. Right. And I know, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, uh, living a happy retirement. And if in retirement, you just really enjoy managing your own money and managing your financial plan. Like I'm the last person that's going to try to convince you that you shouldn't be doing that. If that truly makes you happy, I think that's great. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know if that's a misconception or not. I think some of the, the common misconceptions I hear are that, you know, financial advisors only manage investments or that their job is to uh, outsmart or beat the market. Um, or that their fees are too high or the value doesn't, you know, outweigh the cost. And, and probably the most common misconception, you could probably validate this as well is, um, you know, I have to have a lot of money to work with an advisor. I have to have like a really complex situation, both of which just aren't true. And I think our profession has done an incredible job in recent years, uh, proving those misconceptions wrong, uh, especially in the rise of RIAs and, and different firms getting more specialized. Where do you think people do end up knocking, saying, you know, and now it is time? Is there, you think it's more of a life catalyst, or is it a certain amount where they people start to get nervous about, hey, wow, this is a lot of money now? When do you think people do end up making a transition to saying, hey, Taylor, I need some help, and I'd I'd rather just help have someone do this in a in a in a in your term a commission free way. I always say, yeah, the short answer is, I think you'll just know, you'll just know when it's time. Like, I I think we need some professional help. That's the short answer. The real answer is you're going to have some sort of a pain point. The pain point might be you're making money for the first time in your life and you don't know what to do with it. Or the pain point could be I'm retiring and I don't know if I have enough money to retire or gosh, I just crunched some numbers and I'm going to, I'm going to have a giant tax problem in retirement and I don't know how to address this. So there's going to be some sort of a pain point that you don't know the answer to, or you don't want to tackle on your own. That's going to drive you to say, I need some professional help. Yeah, I think, so that's a really good answer. It's kind of when you, when there is this pain point, you'll know, you almost know it Mm -hmm. and you'll look at your, you and your spouse will kind of talk and say, wow, I think we need some help. Right. So tell me about Stay Wealthy. Uh, tell me, when did you start this? You, it's, a, it's a very successful podcast. So tell me how, wait, wait, how many years you've been doing it? How, how have you grown it? And, and tell me your, your favorite topics that you guys talk about. Yeah, thanks for asking. I, I started the podcast I know, about four years ago. Um, yeah, it's grown pretty significantly recently, uh, only because I just got more and more specific about you know who my target listener was. It's a you know a successful, diligent retirement saver, kind of over the age of forty five. Um, they don't need help budgeting or saving more money. They've done a, a really great job, and they kind of want to take their financial plan to the next level. They also want to optimize things, specifically optimize things around taxes. So uh, we love tax planning at our firm. Uh, most people have not calculated what we call your total retirement tax bill. That's the amount that you'll pay the IRS from the date you retire until end of life. It's a complicated math problem. So one of the reasons why most people don't do it, but if you do it, you go through that exercise, you'll find out you're going to pay the IRS a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And if you can just be a little bit proactive in retirement 
and take control of your taxes and pay them at more opportune times, you can make a giant dent in your tax bill. So a lot of what I talk about on the podcast is tax planning, but we also get into, uh, I think this week's episode was on inflation. We'll get into a different investment management. I did a series on investing in bonds and just got really nerdy on investing in bonds. So um, I've covered a, a wide array of topics, but it really has grown because it's so specific and it speaks to a certain type of person. Um, you know, instead of trying to be the, you know, you brought up Susie Orman, so she's on my mind, like the next Susie Orman, like that's the last thing that I'm going to try to compete with. Well, God bless you for that. Uh, we, <laughs> I, we don't need another Susie Ormond out there. The uh, and, and again, I, I, I kind of just poke fun at her. I think she's great at what she does. I just, I think it rubbed, because I've always advocated that you don't need you don't need millions and millions of dollars. Most Americans can can retire really comfortably and have financial independence yeah. for less than Wall Street will tell you. And she went on this long, really just almost, in my opinion, kind of a media stunt saying that you needed a bare minimum of $5 million, better off $15 million in order to really think about retiring. And oh. I'm thinking... That, that just that just eliminated 99.99% of America. Like, how helpful is that? Anyway. Well, it, it makes a good headline. It's, a, it's, it's all it is. It's media, it's media fodder. So it's car accident financial planning headline. So tell, tell me, though, I, I love taxes, too, uh, and I love thinking this through. Uh, maybe just a couple of thoughts around um, what are some of the big things that you like to counsel people on, whether it's maybe the timing of when you do withdrawals, what accounts you use, uh, tax loss selling, or do you, are you talking about taxes as in tax planning, you should live in another state and save taxes that way. Hey, move to Puerto Rico where the, the you know capital gain tax is almost nothing. <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about some of your favorite yeah. tax topics. I, I love this stuff too. Well, it's a good question about moving. So I'll start there. You know, I'll never suggest to a client that they should move states or countries for that matter uh, to save money on taxes. You know, if it's something that would make them happy, if that's something that they truly want to do, we're there to support it. But I would never, you know, suggest that to a client necessarily, unless their retirement plan is in jeopardy or something. It's like, if you don't do this, you can't retire. Um, so I'll just reiterate, I think it's really important to be proactive in tax planning, in tax planning. Like that's number one, you can't just sit around and wait for the IRS to come knocking on your door because at age 72, that's what's going to happen. You've got those required minimum distributions, uh, money that's never been taxed, the IRS is going to come knocking on your door saying it's time to pay some taxes. So you'll start to take those withdrawals. Those are taxable on top of social security, which causes social security to become taxable. You might also have a pension. It starts to impact Medicare premiums. So you have this collision of events at age 72 that skyrockets your tax bill. And I see people in a higher tax bracket at age 72 than as a working professional. So again, it becomes how can we be proactive so that we don't tip the IRS and we, we reduce that tax bill and we just take control over it. Um, so things like you know Roth conversions, a very, very common, well-known strategy. But one of our little known favorites that takes it to the next level is for those who are charitably inclined to pair Roth conversions with something like a donor advised fund. Uh, and by doing this, you can achieve your charitable goals, which is great also reduce your tax bill and also offset the tax bill from the Roth conversion. So we love kind of pairing these things together. Uh, you mentioned capital gains, big fans of realizing capital gains at 0%. A lot of people have um, a gap to fill at the end of the year for that 0% capital gains tax bracket. A lot of people don't do anything with it. So even if it's just a few thousand dollars, like that's just free money uh, to realize capital gains at, at 0%. Um, tax efficient investments like ETFs. Um, I think you were getting at asset location, you know, what types of 
uh, assets do we put in different types of accounts? So, I mean, there's so many levers you can pull. Uh, I think there's this misconception that you don't have control over your taxes, and it's just it's just not true. You know, it's the I, one of the most common questions that I get. You probably get too. Uh, are are different iterations of converting into a Roth because of this tax tsunami that hits at age seventy two? It's kind of like, you know, you've you've saved, and now all of a sudden you've got a big IRA. You could be forced to you're forced to be pulling out fifty grand, a hundred grand, two hundred grand a year mm-hmm. in re- required minimum distribution. So all of a sudden your income shoots up, and there's this natural thought to say, oh well, I, let's get all my IRA money into a Roth. It's it's not that simple, right? It takes time and some planning to really be able to move the meter on that. So how do you do? You guys, how, and by the way, do you actually do taxes as well? Are you guys you guys are CPAs as well, or not CPAs? No, we do not file taxes, and we, we work very very closely with client CPAs, yeah. um, but we do not file taxes. So you know, we do tax planning. Uh, we know more than enough to be dangerous, uh, but we do have the CPA involved in all these decisions. Got it. Okay, and then and then typically then, what what is your what are your kind of rules of thumb around doing some sort of Roth conversion? Yeah, I mean the the start of the exercise is what tax bracket are you in right now? Where is it going to be in the future at age seventy two and beyond? And is there an opportunity in there to maybe get some money out of those traditional IRAs at a favorable rate? Um, uh, so that's kind of step number one. We call those your gap years, right? We, income shuts off, your tax bracket drops. And before age 72, when those tsunami of RMDs hit, what can we do to start taking money out for Roth conversions? Now, you hit on a really key point that it's just not that simple to take money from a traditional IRA uh, and move it to a Roth because there is a tax bill and those taxes can't be paid with the amount that you're converting. So if you're converting $100,000 from a traditional to a Roth, that $100,000 has to go to the Roth, meaning you have to have the money outside of those accounts to pay the tax bill. And that's why we always say that cash management becomes really, really important in retirement. We have to manage our cash effectively so that we have the money to pay the taxes on those Roth conversions. If all of your money is in a traditional IRA, your hands are kind of tied sometimes in these situations. I love your point too about uh, realizing capital gains at zero. I think we all think of, oh, the capital gains tax, it's it's 15%, uh, but it's it's a more dynamic tax than that, right? It yeah. can go up to 20 plus the net investment income, or it could be zero, which most people don't realize. Maybe just talk through an example of that. That's a great, that's a really important idea. Yeah. In 2022, if you're married filing jointly and your taxable income is below like 83000 and, and change, $83,000 and change, uh, you'll have some room to realize long-term capital gains at 0%. So you know, if you bought Apple stock or bought an ETF that has gone up in value and you've held it for longer than 12 months, uh, you know, deeming it long-term, uh, you can fill up that gap. So if you've got less than $83,000 in change in taxable income for the year, again, you're in retirement, income shut down, maybe you're taking social security, but still you're well below that, that number. Um, you can go ahead and sell some of those securities, realize them at 0%, and you can go ahead and buy them right back again, right? Um, so uh, it's just, uh, uh, again, like it's just free money staring at you in the face and so many people don't do anything with that at the end of the year. So we're just always looking at that as just low-hanging fruit, you know, come December. 
Yeah, it really is a... It, it, we think about financial advisors is that hey, just help me. I need some help investing. But right. these these are these are normal conversations that you would have with a financial advisor about capital gain realization. Uh, how do you stay in in a low bracket? You can sell about this much in order to get to that. Uh, before you start to hit the next bracket of capital gain taxes, which will go up over, which goes from zero to fifteen, goes to twenty, et cetera, and then you've got this complication of how do you, how do you efficiently do a Roth conversion? And, and you mentioned the donor advised fund. That's a, to touch on that too. I, that again, doesn't get a lot of press, uh, donor advised fund. Tell me of an example of that, how people can use one of these. Yeah, we, we love donor advised funds, but really quick, I'll just comment on something you said, you know, just about the, the power of this tax planning, you know, being proactive and, and taking advantage of these opportunities, you know, we'll save clients hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars when done correctly. And, you know, so when you're thinking about paying a financial advisor an annual ongoing fee, you have to remember that, again, sure, you know, managing investments is part of that. But a lot of these strategies and things that we're implementing uh, make a giant, giant dent in your overall financial plan. So, you know, keep that in mind. So donor advised funds, um, great charitable giving tool, low cost, easy to access, extremely flexible, basically allows you to take, um, you know, years of charitable giving. Um, let's say you might give away, uh, you know, $10,000 per year, every single year for the next 10 years. Like, you know, you're going to give away $10,000 mm-hmm. per year. Uh, let's say you have a high income year this year. Maybe you did a Roth conversion and your income spiked. Well, you can take $100,000, put it in a donor advised fund today, get that tax deduction today to help you with your current tax situation. And then you can go ahead and use your donor advised fund to continue giving that $10,000 per year away. So your charitable giving plan stays intact, but you can make this one giant lump sum contribution to charity. You don't have to give the money to charity right away, but it just goes into this, this charitable account, get that giant tax deduction today. All in, all in that year. All yeah. in that year. Yep. And then go ahead and, and, and give away that money as you see fit. Extremely flexible. Over time. Over, over time. time. Yeah. By the way, do you use, you know, I, I know that Fidelity and Schwab both have really, really good donor advised funds and platforms and, and technology. Do you have any preferences or do you, what, what, who do you like to use? Yeah, all, all of our client uh, investment accounts are held at Fidelity. So Fidelity is our custodian. Uh, it makes it really easy to use Fidelity Charitable. It's just a super nice, clean integration there. Fidelity Charitable is also the largest, and I think their fees are the lowest. Don't quote me on that, but you know, pretty pretty darn good donor advised fund option. So we do use Fidelity Charitable. So, so speaking of, you've done a lot of education for younger financial advisors. How did you, how did you end up doing that? Did you just feel sorry for people starting out because it's tough? (laughs) Gosh, it's so tough to start out. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this as a financial advisor at our core. Like we just love helping people and just giving back. And, you know, I struggled a lot in my early years. I reached out to every single person I could just think of. I would, I would, cold call other financial advisors. I would cold DM them just wanting to pick their brain and learn from them. And I just wanted to make that easier on other, you know, up and coming financial advisors. So I, I've made myself really available to that next generation. Um, you know, I've started some different communities to help them. Uh, you know, my phone's open, my, my email's open. I just really want to help, you know, help them uh, on their path and, and maybe avoid some of the mistakes that I made. So uh, it's something I've really enjoyed. In fact, um, my now partner here at the firm who, uh, 
uh, became a partner last year, he cold emailed me six years ago, wasn't even working in this industry, asking to pick my brain and learn more about being a financial planner. And now he's sitting here as a CFP and a partner of the firm. Oh, that's uh, amazing. So really just really cool to, to make myself available to these younger aspiring planners and, and watch them, you know, join our firm and now become a partner. And, and so, um, I, I really do enjoy it. That's that actually is pretty awesome. That's a great story. Let's talk about technology for, for a minute. Um, within our industry, the, I know that you're a big fan of, of using uh, technology within the financial advice industry. It's, it's funny. It's almost like, a there's parts of our industry that have, rocketed it ahead and and really leveraged technology being amazing versus there's still a lot of the industry that is moving at tortoise-like speed on mm -hmm. still using the same applications the same financial planning software of many many years ago many years ago so tell yeah. me about some of the the tools that you like to use right now yeah i mean I'll acknowledge, I think for the most part, a lot of these apps can just be shiny objects, you know, like what are they really going to accomplish for you? So, um, you know, I would just hesitate before you just go download a bunch of finance apps. Um, you know, most of our clients have saved um, a good amount of money. They don't need to count their pennies. They know they're on a good track, but I still think tracking your expenses is really, really important because knowledge is power. You know where your money is going every single month. You can make really informed, educated decisions with your money that way. So uh, one of my favorite tools is YNAB. You need a budget. Now, again, I'm not suggesting you go on a budget, but it's a really powerful tool to help you track your expenses so you know where your money is going. I always say, you know, the output of a financial plan is only as good as the input. And if you don't know how much money you're spending or how much money you need to spend in retirement, uh, well, the, the output may not be that accurate. So um, I think the folks at, at YNAB have done a, a really good job. Um, you know, things like mint.com are also common tools, but uh, you're, you're hit with advertisements and things like that, which is why I typically recommend YNAB. Um, gosh, off the top of my head, I can't think of much else. The, the good folks at, at New Retirement, they've got some great retirement planning tools for do-it-yourself investors. Um, what yeah. is so you know it's funny there was a time when i i would see every five minutes i'd hear a commercial for betterman or wealthfront or one of the robo advisor fintech companies and it's yeah. funny i haven't seen i haven't seen a ad or commercial for any of them for years what happened with them are they did they get bought up are they still their own uh, they still well, independent or did uh, what happened to those robo firms well, you, you know, I'm, I'm on record on my podcast about a year ago talking about robo-advisors because I had some questions from listeners. So I addressed the topic. I think I did a two-part series on robo-advisors. And one of my big concerns that I shared with listeners was where what's going to happen to these firms in the future? Betterment, Wealthfront, you know, there's a they've raised a lot of money. You know, these founders want an exit at some point, And that exit is to sell or go public. And so that was my concern was, you know, Wealthfront or Betterment selling to a large firm. I mean, look what happened to uh, LearnVest selling to Northwestern Mutual, right? Gosh, right. That's, a, that's the last thing those clients expected. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Wealthfront sold to UBS. So here they are, you know, going straight Did back to- Did they really? The, I didn't know yeah. that. Well, yeah, going straight. So, so big brokerage firm went and, and bought uh, this fintech do-it-yourself robo firm amazing yeah. wow yeah and it's that's just amazing, amazing. To, to watch how they've spun that in the news that goes against everything you know they ever said they I ever mean, said to begin with right yeah oh, and my so and, you know that so that's just what scares me about some of these platforms again we saw it with LearnVest, uh e-trade getting bought by morgan stanley you know, now you know what one that i was fascinated with early on was uh motif i don't yeah. know if you remember motif they yeah. they 
they, they had this great interface of different pictures and thematic investing, and they just did a great, just great job of the interface. And I had a Motif account, and I had a couple different Motif accounts. And I, th- I actually thought they would do relatively well. And, I'm, and then I, I remember getting a, a, a letter in the mail. It's like, your Motif account has been tr- transferred to someone <laughs> who, uh, I think actually Motif almost just stopped operating. I think they did. Yeah, yeah It went to right. somebody else, something like I fully, I can't remember what it was called. And then mm-hmm. about a month later, I got another email that said, here's your new password because we've bought the, whoever had a Motif account. So it went through like four ownership changes in like a month or in a, in a couple months. And I'd actually have to look on my phone to see where my damn Motif account is. <laughs> don't <laughs> so, even know where your money is. <laughs> so... Uh, but yeah, it is interesting that, that a lot, you, you heard so much about these firms and then just gone yeah. uh, or, or absorbed somewhere else. Yeah. And, and now you're a client of, a, of Wall Street again, you know, yeah, it all, it, 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 always with the gravitation of Wall Street. Well, you know, the one thing, though, about our industry, the, the fee only investment advisory industry, at least that is perhaps paved a new street. It's still big. It's still giant. I mean, Fidelity is giant, right? Schwab is giant and they're also publicly traded, but they have, they've paved a new, let's call it corner of town. It's not wall street. It is a, it is a, it's a different way of approaching investing. And and I think it is a lot more about independence. It is a lot more about transparency. Yeah. I mean, here's the deal. If, if Fidelity pulled a move like Wealthfront did, well, guess what? Like I can choose a different custodian for my clients, right? right? You know, you, you and I were in this position where we're making decisions for the best interest of our clients. Um, and if we need to move to a different custodian, we will absolutely do that. So what is your, your let's go back to, as we wrap up today, your favorite piece of financial advice, particularly to, you know, our base is, so Retire Sooner podcast, the mission here is to to help people retire at least one year sooner. We want to help a million people retire one year sooner. When we launched this in 2021, in the early 2021, ironically, it coincided with the, the this great reshuffling of jobs in America and be, mm-hmm. due to the pandemic and due to people looking at work from home and work from anywhere and just reassessing li- life, I think something like 3 million people retired uh, more than more than normal. So I'll attribute maybe a few of them, a handful to our podcast, but just the world that we lived in. We've had a ton of retirees in the last year or so. But really, w- the books that I've written and the, all the research that I've done for the last decade has been, or mu- much of the research has been around the habits of what I call a happy retiree mm-hmm. versus unhappy retiree. Uh, t- talk to me a little bit about your financial advice in that context. So in, in financial, in, in enjoyment during retirement, in uh, if you were to, to address a group of, of, of investors that wanted to be happy retirees, what would you talk to them about? Yeah. I, um, so when my grandfather was dying, um, one of the regrets that he shared with us was that he wished he flew first class and he didn't mean that literally. I'm, I'm sure he flew first class, you know, plenty of times in his life. He was a successful, uh, business owner, but I think what he meant was just, he wished he would have lived life a little bit more. And I'm sure you can attest to this, you know, even for very successful retirement savers, they have a hard time. They've done a great job saving money 
but they have a hard time actually spending that money and doing things for themselves. I mean, I had a, a very successful client of mine ask if they could afford to go on this trip. You know, and it's almost laughable knowing what their financial situation is. And so I uh, dedicate a lot of time to, to giving clients confidence to go and enjoy their life and spend this money that they worked so hard to, to save. So I don't know if that's the exact answer that you're looking for, but I just really, really, really just over and over and over and over, uh, you know, try to instill that confidence so that they can go in and enjoy life um, and go in and fly first class if that's important to them or take that big trip or, you know, give that money to charity, whatever it might be. But um, just too often I, I see clients, you know, pass away with a lot of money left over, you know, and they didn't go on that cruise. And it just, it makes me really sad. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure that they lived, you know, retirement as happily as they would have hoped. Yeah. Permission to spend. Yeah. Permission to spend. Uh, you know, and, and you're right. I see the same thing, uh, Taylor, which is you, it's, it's too, it's, it's, it takes a lot for someone to be so disciplined, to be able to accumulate a lot of wealth. Mm-hmm. It takes a certain kind of person to do that. And they're, they're very good at delayed gratification. They're very good at that and it becomes part of who they are. And then when it comes time to, when it comes time to see the fruits of that labor, it's hard for them to open up their heart. It's hard for them to spend the money. And, and yeah. it's, it's interesting. It's like the, almost the opposite of what you would think a financial advisor would do. But you, what you're saying is that we're helping people understand, look, no matter you're spending a hundred thousand dollars a year, if you only spend a hundred thousand dollars a year, your money's going to probably triple by the time you get to be 90. What, unless you want to give a lot of this away, yeah. then you need to be spending more money today and living the life that you should be living today with, with, uh, in a less bridled way. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an amazing point that you make is that sometimes it's really about the clarity around the, the, it's a clarity around financial planning that gives you the opportunity to say, look, you're underspending. That's, what, that's actually a kind of a fun conversation. Yeah, I, I literally tell clients, go grab a nice bottle of wine this weekend and just sit down and talk. Like, what do we want to do? What do we want our life to look like? What do we want retirement to look like? How do we want to spend this money? Because that is the question is like, I don't know how to spend all this money. Like, I don't need to fly first class. I don't need to buy a new Tesla every year. Um, So it becomes a question like, what do we do? And so it sometimes just takes a lot of conversations with your significant other, your spouse, your family to, to come to that answer. Yeah, what and I think really that's a good actionable step too, is to, to, to remind our listeners here on the Retire Sooner podcast, I love Taylor's idea of just sit down over a bottle of wine. That sounds awesome, by the way, particularly on the coast of California where you yeah. are or anywhere you are in the United States in this, this wonderful country that we live in to sit down and intentionally say, look, I was listening to this podcast today and these guys were talking about the intentionality around what we're going to spend our money on and what are mm-hmm. we going to do for the next 30 years, which may be around the corner. It may be 10 or 15 years away. It may be five years away. It might be imminent. But I love that conversation a couple times a year. I think it's a, it's, first of all, it's a fun conversation to have. I think it's probably good for, it's probably good transparency for partners to stay on the same page. Yeah. And it's, it, it's good from a financial planning standpoint. And I, and I love that idea. Yeah. So uh, with that, uh, Taylor Schulte, uh, CEO of Define Financial, he's a, a fee, well, he's a commission-free, <laughs> even though your bio says fee-only, but commission-free, re- RIA, Registered Investment Advisor uh, in San Diego, California. And uh, he is the host 
He's the host of Stay Wealthy, which you can find anywhere, Apple, Spotify, wherever it may be. And uh, listen, thank you for your time, man. I can tell in talking to you, I know why your podcast is so good. You're great on the air. You do an amazing job. I love what you give back to the community. And uh, let's stay in touch, man. Wes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words. And yeah, let's stay in touch. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.